Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. Welcome to Talking Tourism. My name is Luke Martin. I'm your host for this fortnight's episodes. And my day job is a CEO of Tourism Industry Council of Tasmania, or TICT. Talking Tourism is an initiative of TICT, the peak industry body for Tasmania's tourism industry. Today's episode is the latest in a series of special Talking Tourism episodes we've produced each fortnight since the COVID emergency began to keep Tasmanian tourism operators and industry stakeholders engaged and informed of the latest developments as we make our way through the crisis conditions and now into our recovery. In this context, I do want to thank and acknowledge the Tasmanian Government for sponsoring these episodes, along with Caleb Miller from Mac40 Media for his excellent production. Today, we're recording on Monday the 29th of June, and on Friday afternoon, uh, just gone, the Tasmanian Premier, Peter Gutwin, announced he hopes to lift Tasmania's border restrictions in about four weeks, on 24 July, albeit acknowledging the ongoing and evolving situation in Victoria. Obviously, though, on Talking Tourism, we've always taken a glass-half-full approach, and we're going to remain eternally hopeful the situation in Victoria will come under control, and we'll be welcoming back our interstate visitors from all parts of Australia at around the end of July. But what are the air services to Tasmania going to be looking like when we do reopen our borders? How many flights? Where are they going to come from? Who will be flying? To answer these questions and to explore the future of Tasmania's aviation access, I'm joined by Matt Cocker, the Acting CEO of Hobart Airport. G'day, Matt. G'day, Luke. How are you? Thanks for joining me. Um, you're Acting CEO. How does it feel to be the Acting CEO? And you got this uh, promoted to this role a few months ago. How does it feel to be the running a capital city airport one flight a day? Look, it's, uh, there's no doubt it's been pretty tough over the last three months, Luke. Obviously, uh, I think uh, the day that planes stopped was a real indication that uh, this was something that we'd never experienced before. I think that day was uh, the first day since 1956, since the airport <laughs> opened, that we didn't have a flight. So we knew that it was going to be an interesting period of time. And of course, there was a lot of monitoring of uh, things that were occurring. Um, and a lot of talking with the airlines to see how long this was going to last for. But um, but certainly a very interesting period of time, having a full terminal open, but no people coming through it. And we lose sight of the fact that the airport is a major economic hub in its own right. You employ a lot of people, a lot of contractors, and um, obviously the, the sheer logistics of you know that day and the days that followed about your own staff and your contractors and the, the various... I guess, suppliers that hang off the airport, that must have been a pretty horrific week as well as obviously dealing with the, uh, the airlines themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, um, the airport, as you mentioned, is a bit of an economic hub and a major employer within the state. And while we don't employ a, num- a large number of people directly, we certainly do have a large number of people who work on airport, whether they be um, as contractors to us or working for the airline or indeed businesses that hang off um the, the tourism sort of trade and we've seen significant impacts um, across the board you know ourselves for example we reduced our staffing levels um, to around 40 percent of pre-covid levels um, and we've seen ground handling agents do a very similar thing and a large number of organizations that were were um, very very uh, heavily engaged in tourism mm. actually closing up their doors you know we've had um you know, a lot of rental cars parked up in our car park, a lot of mm. the, uh, the, the touring vans that are doing the same. So it's been significant. And, of course, um, it, uh, you've got to look at the people side of things. And 
we've tried to maintain positivity, uh, which we all must do, and, and of course we've uh, stayed engaged with our staff because I think it's important to realise that while we've moved through this, we've needed to ensure that they had confidence that we were going to rebound. And mm. uh, those people who are working at the airport and those people that built the airport are going to be important as we rebuild into the future. So, and that's the challenge here. Now you've got this date and, and obviously, again, you say one flight a day or whatever it is at the moment, but you are now into a, a stage of almost restarting a major capital city airport and you've got you know, a period now to, to do it. What... Come 24 July, assuming that uh, the Victorian situation does come under control and um, we are all systems go, what, what's your expectations for what, what services will be like and what access will be like into the state and how the airport will be operating at that point? Yeah, it's a good point you make. Um, it's, it's probably easier to close up shop than what it is to um, restart. Um, there's going to be a lot of work that's needed, but um, we have been ahead of the curve, I think, when it, it comes to reading ourselves for the recovery. Um, so we've done all that we can within the airport terminal uh, to ensure that we build confidence in those people who are moving through it currently on that one essential flight a day. Mm. Um, all of the social distancing requirements that are needed, um, we've got some, some PA announcements in there, we've done social distance markers and we've tried to have a Tasmanian influence on all of these things. We don't want to be um, a cookie cutter. Um, we, we want to have um, some Tasmanian sense of place and whenever we're doing things and, and particularly when it comes to building the recovery and building the confidence. Um, and with, you know, from, from uh, looking at what 24 July onwards looks like, you know, we, we've uh, continued to engage with state government who have been fantastic in managing through COVID. Um, we've certainly ensured that uh, we're talking with them, the federal government and, and indeed our airline partners to ensure that we can recover as quickly as possible. Now, it's going to take us some time to, to rebuild back up to pre-COVID levels, but um, we think that uh, on the 24th of July or thereabouts, when um, when the 24th of July does occur, of course, noting that the Premier continues to monitor it, mm. uh, the situation particularly in Victoria, we think that uh, when that border does open and does lift, that uh, we will have some um, increased flights into Hobart on day one. Yeah. So what that looks like is is probably, um, you know, obviously increased flights to Melbourne. We're looking at uh, opening up the direct routes to Sydney, Brizzy and Adelaide, which were all very, very significant uh, routes that we had previously. Uh, and, and as I say, increasing the amount of flights that are going into uh, into Melbourne. So while it won't be back to pre-COVID levels, we think that um, we'll have significant opportunities for, for people to jump on planes outbound and certainly we want to ensure that we are best placed to uh, to deliver on what we see to be an increased uh, interest in coming to Tassie with uh, with international borders effectively closed other than potentially a trans-Tasman flight. Um, those people who are living on the mainland um, continue to have a great deal of interest in coming to Tasmania and we want to ensure that they've got as many opportunities they have as they can to to convert on that. Uh, not everyone wants to fly through uh, Melbourne. You know, if you're living in Sydney or living in Brizzy, yeah. you want direct routes. And so we're continuing to talk with the airlines on achieving that. So so that's an important point because I know uh, there's obviously been some commentary, I think, from Qantas about the hub-and-spoke model um, out of Victoria and New South Wales. And I guess people obviously thinking about whether does that mean that we're likely to end up with this the old traditional via Melbourne model or would the the return of those, you know, frankly hard fought for uh, direct services that 
the airport and the state's been able to acquire, Queensland, Sydney, um, and obviously South Australia and Perth more recently will be restored as part of that first wave. So you're hopeful it'll be beyond obviously just Melbourne and, and Sydney. We'll, we'll see those traditional markets. And I think some, uh, obviously Adelaide, I think Stephen in the market at the moment, I suspect. So that might be a bit of a telltale yeah. sign on that one. So Yeah, look, absolutely. And, and we've spoken before, Luke, about confidence and um, everyone should be confident in, in the Tasmanian market. Um, for, for a member of the public who's sitting back after experiencing three months of lockdown, they want to get out and about and they want to start uh, enjoying themselves. And people are monitoring what's happening in Victoria. And if there's opportunity to fly over Melbourne, people will take it up. I mean, they've done it prior to COVID and they'll do it again. And I think it absolutely makes sense to have um, direct routes back up and running as soon as possible. And we're confident that that's going to happen. You can almost overlap the TVS results over historically somewhere like Adelaide's Classic and Queensland's the opposite. Almost every time there's been an extra direct service, you see the bump. Um, yeah. yeah. The direct services, people do do like to fly direct. So that's that's really good to hear. So your projections are back into this year, we'll gradually see demand take over and hopefully, um, you know, so time frame, it's going to be a slow build up until Christmas or what, what sort of forecast yeah, I think, are you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, traditionally, um, what we call the northern winter schedule has been the time when people want to move into Tassie and travel down here. And we've got some great events that happen as, uh, as we move into the summer period. Um, and that confidence will be there, as I mentioned before, and the interest levels will be there. So we're sort of suggesting potentially a, up to 60% pre-COVID levels. Um, and, of course, to get back to 100%, it's going to take some time. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're continuing to uh, reassess what passenger growth looks like over the next 18 months. So in that context, a big part of that equation is obviously Virgin. And um, you, you mentioned you're talking to airlines. Um, obviously, the new ownership, are you confident Virgin will be a feature sooner than later? Yeah, I am, actually. Um, we're continuing to talk to the Virgin group. And everyone would agree that um, what we need in the sky is competition. Yeah. Um, it's not dissimilar here in Tasmania. And uh, we've enjoyed a really strong relationship with Virgin over the years. We're looking forward to them continuing to point planes in our direction. Um, and we are confident, we remain confident that, um, that they will be back in the air towards us um, in the not-too-distant future. And, in fact, I wouldn't um, discount them being in the mix on the 24th of July uh, when these borders reopen. I've heard you comment a couple of times amongst, there's been a lot of conversation about Virgin's model and um, I know we've talked to Brett Godfrey on this podcast earlier about you know, the, the change of strategy they've made over the years, but the Hobart services have always been uh, the the better performers for them as in, in their network. So they we're, we're working off a strong base. We're not the afterthought destination, are we? Oh, uh, not, not at all, absolutely yeah. not. They were... Um, they were very happy with the services they were providing here into Tasmania um, and, you know, from a passenger perspective as well as a freight perspective. So it makes sense for them to to, um, to start again um, and we're looking forward to them doing that as soon as possible. All right. Now, the other talking point has obviously been bubbling along the last three months is New Zealand. And um, did, what can you share about the planning around the New Zealand service? Because it was obviously on before... Conversations around a direct service were happening well before COVID, and and obviously this has put a different light on it. But where are we? Yeah, look, it's a, it's an interesting topic, um, and something that's probably been on the radar for the last few years. You probably recall Luke, around uh, three years ago, we had interest from an airline to re-engage with the Trans Tasman network into Hobart, and we did all that we could to uh, 
to accelerate that and to get that interest uh, converted upon. But of course, we it was a little bit frustrated with some of the um, the border agency requirements, which mm. did certainly impact on our ability to uh, to achieve that at that point in time. Um, subsequent to that, we've seen the uh, the Hobart City Deal announcement with the federal government interest in ensuring that Hobart becomes an international airport once again. Uh, we've continued to plan for a terminal expansion um, to a- achieve some some fairly significant wants from the border agencies. But of course, then COVID hit, and um, we've had to ensure that we develop infrastructure in line with what passenger growth looks like. We've always been interested in having the conversation with the federal government around flexibility, mm. about ensuring that we uh, can capitalise on any opportunities that, that would significantly uh, impact positively uh, the Tassie economy, and we think a trans-Tasman service would certainly uh, assist in that. Um, but that would require, given the set of circumstances, a level of flexibility by these border agencies. Um, you, you look at a Sunshine Coast model where they've uh, they, they set up a, uh, a very temporary processing area within the domestic environment and they move their uh, uh, trans-Tasman service uh, in summer periods through that. We think that that is something that could be achieved here um, and we continue to have the conversations with the uh, the federal government on that. Um, of course, we're talking with the airlines and uh, we'll continue to have those conversations with the airlines, the state government, um, and I, th- I think it's fair to say that the state government um, are interested and, in fact, there's bipartisan support for something like this yeah. um, as we move forward. Of course, our focus has got to be on ensuring that uh, we get the domestic network up and running as soon as we possibly can, but if there's something that can be added to that domestic network, like the Trans-Tasman Service, then we should continue to put all of our efforts into achieving that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, to me, it's always been like Perth. It's a, it's a market of four and a half, five million people in New Zealand, two million people in WA, and just removing that barrier of the extra two or two hours to do the dog leg via Melbourne, it's just opening up a you know pool yeah. of pool of visitors that uh, has always been a hurdle. And, and again, I'm hopeful, just as hopeful as New Zealand route that you get the Perth market back, so I can. I'd say that, that would have enormous potential to growth over the next few years as well. With with New Zealand, we are talking about Auckland, or is it likely to be Auckland, or is it are you not you're not set on a market? Well, this? no, not really. But it would make sense for for Auckland to be involved in that because obviously they the hub and spoke model within New Zealand sort of yeah. suggests that uh, shoot for the shoot for the top end, and um, there are some airframes that would probably be best utilised that are sitting on the ground, not doing much for periods of time throughout the day. And if they pointed them um, to Tassie and got them back well in time for the uh, morning rounds uh, in New Zealand would make sense. So, and just on the point you're making about the extra costs, I mean, if it was to be, you know, one flight a day or, you know, that's sort of probably obviously in the short term. So there's a whole issue around customs and quarantine and that extra level of requirement. That's the challenge you've got to work through, isn't it? It's not a case of literally, you know, get the flight in place and suddenly the the guys of the sniffer dog suddenly start looking after international. It's it's a whole new layer, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, there is a significant investment that would need to be made um, from an infrastructure perspective, you know, longer term. Um, but certainly from a staffing level, the federal government would need to, and they've they've. Um, indicated that in the Hobart City deal that they would cover the costs for wages for for border agency staff. That's what the eighty three million odd dollar announcement was within yeah. the within the Hobart City deal. Um, and the infrastructure, even if it was temporary facilities, we would be looking at probably around fifteen million dollars just wow. investing in um, in equipment and uh, and infrastructure to support um, strong border um, 
processing. Yeah, you can't avoid it though, can you? There's no. I no. mean, if, we, if we're serious about wanting to have international flights, and um, obviously New Zealand's the first and you know the most obvious market, and yeah. you can't avoid those costs, can you? No. All right. No. So, uh, and you're hopeful. What this is that a this year, 2020, 2021 hope expectation? Look, um, yeah. Hopeful, confident. <clears throat> well, I'd, well, I'd say that there's a lot of things that need to go right, and, and um, particularly uh, when it comes to. Um, the agreement to flexible arrangements for border uh, control, noting that we would never ever want to water down um, border uh, controls. We want to be a secure um, environment. But um, yeah, a lot of things need to go right, and we're hoping that we can convert on as soon as possible. But um, you know, it'd be a brave man to to um, suggest that it would be here by um, by Christmas. But um, that, that, there's at least happen, we'd be excited. Come on, Matt. There's about three front pages on the Mercury of that little tidbit. <laughs> if you put a date on it, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, they, they're no. desperate for column inches. Um, yeah. So, uh, just to wrap it up. What is the experience likely to be? I, if I'm booked to fly to Melbourne in early August, or in, you know, ideally, we get a lot more people wanting to fly into Tasmania. What, from your perspective, what do you understand will be the flying experience? And we're talking about distancing, and I mean, there's been talk on you, any googling shows. This whole kind of checkboard seating on planes, or um, we're talking about everyone going to have a face mask. Is that optional? What, what, what's your understanding? Of what the flying experience is going to be like in the for the foreseeable future? Yeah, look, um, a lot of uh, a lot of people have been focusing on this, um, and we've been planning with um, other Australian airports as well as uh, airlines on what the experience would look like. And uh, you know, I'll keep on going back to the term confidence. We're doing all that we can to ensure that people um, um, are confident in flying, um, and to do that, we're, we're putting all of the measures in place um, that we can to ensure that passengers transiting through our terminal. Um, are as safe as they possibly can. So social distancing markers, you know, all of the um, sanitising, uh, increased levels of cleaning um, to uh, to ensure that we're doing as all, all that we can. Um, when it comes to get, you know, your time on an aircraft, um, I think uh, it's fair to say that um, the expectation that airlines would go to checkerboard seating is unrealistic and mm. you've heard um, Alan Joyce and others speak on that. Um, they would need to fill up planes to ensure that it's economically viable for these routes to to continue. Um, so I don't think it would be too dissimilar to what it was pre-COVID, other than the fact that um, there will be equipment that is being offered by the airlines for members of the public who are travelling on their aircraft. So almost like um, personal protection equipment um, packages that uh, that uh, people can avail themselves of um, when they're when they're boarding the plane. Think that that's going to be the and norm, that, and probably option. So, and likely optional. So, the traveller will make their own personal yeah. decisions about the risk that they want to carry, and all re- relevance of that. You know, some people obviously have a higher risk threshold than others, and they might want to, yeah, be yeah, safe and give them that option. All right, absolutely. Okay, and last, what what is the number one thing we know as an island state? Uh, we uh, live and die on the basis of access, and every time you, know, you guys have. Have achieved great outcomes for new routes or growing our capacity. We've seen a direct correlation of flights, and clearly our recovery over the next two years is going to be intrinsically linked to the ability for for Hobart and Launceston Airport and the airlines to be able to, to restore close to capacity of, of what we saw prior. What is the number yeah. one thing we must do right now as an industry and as a destination to help make your job easier to get these flights back in the state? Yeah, well, I think um, first and foremost, my job's made easier in that we've got a great destination. Um, people don't fly to airports, they fly to destinations, and Tassie is one of 
the most wonderful places in which someone um, could travel within within the uh, domestic sort of market. So we need to get our name out there. Uh, we need to ensure that um, we are um, speaking to people, giving them confidence that they can get on a plane and come down to Tasmania and experience the, the wonderful things that we have here. Um, from our perspective, we need to be agile and flexible and convert on opportunities as soon as we possibly can. Um, and to that end, we're continuing dialogue with the airlines um, to ensure that we work together um, to rebuild this network with direct flights and, and um, basically building up that network so that people have options to get on a plane um, and to get into Tasmania um, on one single flight without having to go through Melbourne. Mm. And and I think that uh, we're we're um, moving very quickly toward that. Yeah, excellent. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners, even you know, us Tasmanians, who probably signalise the moment of getting on a plane and coming back and not having to worry about things like quarantine will almost be, in some sense, the close to return to normality as we could probably expect. It's almost like that symbolic. Um, you know, this is a return to order. So good luck with what you're doing. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being so candid. Um, my name is Luke Martin. This is Talking Tourism with Matt Cocker from Hobart Airport. Uh, please continue to tune in and listen to the other episodes we're launching today with uh, Marnie Craig from Business Events Tasmania and Simon Westaway from the Australian Tourism Industry Council. And of course, there are now dozens of uh, Talking Tourism episodes for you to tune through uh, the various channels um, that we can access your podcasts. Thanks for joining us Enjoy and uh, good luck. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism.